Welcome to Off the Deck. I'm your host, Steve Carrera, and each episode I sit down with a member of the water polo community to speak with them about what helped make them successful in the world of water polo. In this episode, we sat down with Dan Lason of UC Davis and Adam Wright of UCLA to talk about Racco Rudich's impact on United States water polo. If you enjoy the episode, do me a favor, leave a five-star review or share it with your friends. And if you want to support the show, you can go to offthedeckpodcast.com and donate to the program. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us on another episode of Off the Deck. Uh, I have the uh, distinct pleasure of being on the phone with uh, two of the best coaches in in the country. Uh, first off with Dan Lason, the second time on the show uh, from the men's coach at UC Davis. Uh, thank you, Dan, for being on. And Adam Wright, the head men's and women's water polo coach at UCLA. Um, so really the idea that we had, Dan and I have been talking for the last couple of weeks as we've seen the retirement of uh, the greatest water polo coach uh, in our sport, Racco Rudich, retire. A lot of people have been seeing articles and passing them around on the coach's Slack channel and uh, on social media. So Dan and I had this idea about talking about what the impact that Racco had here in the United States. And there's been a lot of stories, a lot of former guests have uh, talked about him and their experience with Racco, but I, th- I think this is a really important conversation to have and really share the experiences, not just from the player's perspective, but also from the assistant coaching perspective. And so I'd like to start off by asking uh, Dan, you know, why do you think it's important to have this podcast, this episode dedicated solely to Racco Rudich? Hey, hey, thanks for having me on, Steve. Really appreciate it. Of course. Um, I think that uh, I think it's important to talk about Radko because like you described, you know, Radko is kind of generally well known as the most successful coach in water polo history uh, with over 38 different uh, medals at major competitions and four Olympic gold medals uh, as coaching three different teams. And um, I think many people don't remember real, I think we're getting to the age where many people don't remember that Radko Rudich was the national team coach here from 2000 to 2004. And the fact that he has just retired is well known, but I think it's important to talk about his legacy in American water polo. So that's kind of the, that was kind of the idea behind it. Absolutely. Adam, do you have anything to add on, on that? Yeah. And thanks Steve for having me on and, and, and doing uh, this podcast for, you know, for Radco. So I think um, to follow up what Dan said, you know, it was a really unique situation just this past year to have pro Racco uh, here in the States. And obviously Racco was the coach there and it was just interesting to see, you know, and uh, most of it, we did a clinic uh, at La Miranda and, and most of these kids had no clue who this legend was. And I think something that's critical, not only in our sport, but in every sport is to understand your past. And, uh, there's no doubt he's established his legacy as as the greatest coach in the history of our game, not only because of his of his success, but what he's built in every country that he's gone to, from structure, uh, uh, from the youth all the way up through the national team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I've gotten to know him in terms of yeah, I've met him a couple times, and then sharing stories with you know the former players and and coaches. It's been it's been quite remarkable and something that I've always wanted to know more about just personally as as a coach. And so, you know, 
I think there's a lot of there's been rumblings in the water polo community, as most of you have probably heard about, you know, the differences or the the positives or negatives of hiring a, a foreign coach. Um, you know, a lot of us here in the United States feel like, hey, we have a lot of great coaches. We've had a lot of great success with American coaches at every level. You know, what was the reaction from the U.S. coaches and players when he was hired as the foreign the foreign head coach, if you will? Dan, you can go ahead first. Well, uh, first of all, I think it was, if you look back in 2000, I think it was kind of crazy that Bruce Weigo, who was the executive director of U.S. Water Polo at that time, actually hired Ratko Rudich. She was the first foreign coach. And, and you know, to be honest, Ratko kind of represented the enemy. Um, because he came, first of all, he had won uh, gold medals against the United States in 1984 and 88, including in Los Angeles. Um, but he came from the Eastern European system and the Eastern Bloc. And so some of the older coaches, uh, in, American coaches who were of similar age, had lived through the Cold War. And, um, and so, you know, Eastern Europe was the enemy. So it was very strange, I think, for them to have somebody who was who represented something that was opposed you know to the united states come and and be the head coach now um and so you know at, at the beginning dante Dedamonte was his assistant coach and you know dante is, has been vocal about his opposition to ratko's style of game and ratko's training methods um his other coaches assistant coaches were ricardo azevedo and rich corso and rich corso was an olympic coach in atlanta in 1996 ricardo was his, was his assistant coach and also Ricardo had been a junior national team head coach. And so these guys had coached against, you know, what Racco represented. And now suddenly he was here as the head coach. So I think that there was, uh, it had to be an odd situation. I was not involved from the very first moment when Racco was hired. I came in a little bit later, but uh, it had to be very odd to have him as now the head coach of the American national team for fellow coaches. Yeah. I mean, I think anytime, there must have been some internal grumblings in terms of, you know, some people hoping or wishing that it was their opportunity and then some fear in terms of someone coming in and basically wanting to blow up the system. And so, you know, Adam, when you came in, I mean, in 2000, you were, you were still a senior or so in in college, right? So were you start of sort of getting into the national team senior national team mix at that point did you hear anything um from you know coaches or from you know players that that were maybe negative or even or positive yeah you know i think i had been um training with the national team for quite some time you know uh through the period the quad leading up to sydney um our junior team trained with the atlanta team before they took off before 96 um i think from a player standpoint right there was a lot of unknown uh nervousness angst um because all of a sudden it's the very first time uh we've had a foreign coach um there's no doubt all of us knew uh, how successful Racco was um but it is interesting you know when you brought up the word fear too i think a lot of people um you know, when you bring in somebody who is so established and had so much success, you know, it, it, it does maybe create fear for uh, coaches um, that might 
feel like they should be in that position per se. Um, I just know from my standpoint, you know, I'll never forget the first practice we showed up at the Belmont um, and Ricardo was kind of leading it, you know, and Racco was uh, standing back and all of us, you know, it was like, it, it was completely different than what we had experienced from the other quads. And I think that just, it just triggered uh, a lot of angst to be, to be honest. And, and I think um, the reality is, is it was a good thing for us. We needed that to, to be honest. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good segue into something that I know very little about. So excuse me on this, but what was project gold? You know, Project Gold, you know, and I think it's it's so important to, you know, Dan brought up Bruce Weigo, who got this whole thing started by getting Ratco here, right? And then I think, um, you know, besides Dan as his assistant, Barbara Calvis was so critical for Ratco, right? He's coming into a completely new environment, new language, um, and she was so critical in helping him put his plan together from a, uh, uh, I guess, from a curriculum standpoint, right? And those who have had the opportunity to see Project Gold on paper, it is so elaborate and it's incredible the thought that went into it, right? And and I think the interesting thing though, whether it be an army or any sporting team, you can have the most elaborate plan, but if the follow through is not there, then it doesn't matter. And I think for me, that's the most important piece of Project Gold was the follow through by uh by Ratko and Steve you probably remember I mean he was at everything age group stuff high school games uh, uh college games and there was a reason behind that you know he said long ago that he married the game of water polo and he put his social life second and um and that that project if you remember um as far as, and I know Dan will talk a little bit more because he was more involved at the time with age group stuff as well, um, was so critical. If you remember the last couple of years of the Premier League was the absolute yeah. closest thing that the U.S. has had to professional league. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that involved, right, if you remember the Premier League, of getting young players and forcing those young players to play. And, and, and the more I think about it, you know, it's just kind of sad. Uh, that we didn't stay the course, whether he stayed or not with that plan, because I absolutely um, wholeheartedly believe that plan would have put us in a much better position today if we would have stayed with it. Well, it put, it also expanded the water polo map, I thought, because I was on the East Coast at the time, and we were putting together our teams and coming out here and playing in the Premier League against the, you know, Newport and Stanford and, you know, those sort of quote-unquote club teams at the time and a lot of us really did feel like oh this is the next path towards you know the next step in 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 our careers you know we had the national b team and and the a team and if you made one of those premier league teams you considered yourself to be on the b team regardless of you know what practice squad you were in or anything like that so it gave us a little bit of at least it gave me a little bit of hope or you know, feeling like, oh, it's, there, it's not just closed off here in, into one little section. Um, and right. going back to your point of he was at everything, I mean, the way I got to meet him was because I remember him, and so part of this was probably a facilities issue too, but I remember him going around to different pools, and Northwood High School was one of them, 
and using different facilities, maybe because there was no permanent facility or pool time or whatever, but to have access to him and to invite parents and to invite club and the high school teams in, I remember that distinctly. That was like kind of one of the big moments in my earlier coaching career. So, um, Dan, yeah, if you remember, if you remember on that, sorry, no, go ahead. Um, that was all with purpose, right? Because we did have the Navy base and that was our home training ground, but he wanted to spread, uh, water polo and grow water polo. You know, he said to me, um, and I don't remember at what point, but one of his biggest regrets was winning gold here in 84, because he thinks if the U S would have won gold, we would be in a different position. And it was interesting thought, but if you remember, he brought in a European team, right? Uh, I don't remember. Dan will probably remember exactly what year, but we were doing, we were going to pools in Fresno. Like you said, North, I mean, we were going all over, we were going back East and that was critical. For, part of the project is building the sport, right? Because he knows the more numbers you have, the more options you're going to have later on yeah. as the national team yeah. coach. Right. And, and I think the other interesting thing before uh, Dan talks about it is also within that project was a plan of how crucial it was to gain experience. Right. And within that is, you know, talking about, you know, the number of games that needed to be played by our national team for us to grow. And, and there was a, one trip, you know, and Dan probably remembers, you know, we were on the road for 70, 73 days, I think it was right. And almost every day, we are playing at least, well, we're having a training game in the morning and whether it's official game at night, we're playing at least two games every day. Jeez. Right. And under the most crazy conditions sometimes. Um, but he knew that was critical, right. For the U S we were not getting the, the same experiences as the Europeans per se with the uh, uh, high level competition. Um, and he knew, and that was in that inside that project. So, you know, and I, and I think we have veered away from that and it is so critical with, with more experience, right? Confidence grows. And that's, and when we talk about that probably later on, that's where you'll see the, the payoff was starting to come after 2004, right? Yeah. Because of all of those experiences. Yeah. So Dan, on the age group side, because since you were helping to build the infrastructure at that time, one of the big pieces to Project Gold was the age group and what you know, where that fit into the long-term plan, which, you know, Adam is talking about, really, it's all about the long-term. What was that from the age group perspective? Well, the thing that stands out uh, to me about that, that document is the emphasis on the, the, the sort of the foundational programs that will eventually lead to the national team, right? And, and that's age group. And I just remember Barbara Calbus, I mean, that document was in constant revision, constant adjustments were being made to it. And, but overall, there was always an effort to include as many young players as possible in all aspects, um, you know, the national age group championships. And, and I remember that there was room on those teams for players, young players who, who were not able to play on a team, you know, that didn't have a team that came from maybe a smaller market. So there was always room for extra players or to give opportunities to players from different parts of the country to really open up the game. And, and Adam is right. I mean, we went on tour, like all up and down doing clinics, playing games. And there was just, just trying to open up the sport and, you know, having, having learned a little bit more about leadership and stuff like that, um, that document is just, uh, it's just good leadership to create 
a plan. Like when you come in as a coach, you start with a plan and then it provides the purpose, the clarity of vision, like the goals and the steps that you're going to take to arrive to this ultimate goal of winning a gold medal in 2008. And then, you know, you, that's a fundamental first step, but like Adam said, then you got to follow it up with the work that was required. And I think Ratko, to be honest, he convinced a lot of people who were maybe skeptical about him with his work ethic yeah. and the amount of work that he was willing to do. And he was at everything and he was constantly working and constantly adjusting. And, and he did it through work ethic. And it was pretty impressive, uh, but it started with Project Goal. That was the plan, and then he followed it up over the years. Yeah, it sounds like when you're around him, you you become very aware of the amount of work that you as an individual, whether you're a player or an assistant coach, have to put in in order to even be accepted by him. And a, a, a tour of 73 days, you know, <laughs> on the road, in hotels, I mean, J.O.'s is hell enough being in the hotel for four, <laughs> four days. days or nine days. You know, I, I can't imagine you know how tired you are after those four days. Yeah. And it's not it. like it's not like you guys are all have your own room and get to order room service. I'm sure you guys all are sharing and you're kind of on top of each other uh, because of limited budget. So, you know, Steve, li literally on top of each other. There was a van ride. Dan will laugh at this. We oh were training God. and we were playing in Zagreb, Croatia, right, with the Croatian national team. And we were gonna drive. It was Niche, right, Dan? Serbia. Yeah, Niche, Serbia. And you know, we we were thinking, okay, it's probably a little four or five hour drive, right? Up rolls. Literally, usually we go on big team buses. Up rolls a, I don't know, what was it? One of those little eighteen passenger vans, right? Yeah, yeah. We had more than eighteen people. And back <laughs> in the day, Barbara Calvis used to. She would make sure that we would have two or three backups to everything. So whether it be plugs, so we would have these huge boxes, right? Oh we God. are literally luggage on top of us, jammed in this thing. How long was that drive, Dan? 10 hours, eight hours? It was long, it was really long. long. To not only to pull up to a full stadium in Niche, we had a live TV game against Serbia. And oh, by the way, the game was going to start in 20 minutes. Oh we had 20 God. minutes to get ready. Needless to say, that game uh, did not go off so well for us. And we're just getting pounded. At halftime, I'll never forget. You know, uh, it can't be an excuse, the bus ride and, and all of that. You know, and then, you know, when, when Dan talked about the follow through, it kind of made me, I think everybody's been watching that last dance, you know, with yeah. uh, Michael Jordan. And he talks about, Nobody, the one thing that nobody could question, right? My, Michael Jordan might be a real pain, but Michael Jordan was doing more than anyone, right? Meaning they couldn't question his work ethic because he, he demonstrated to the group um, that he, the, the group couldn't call him out because he never asked for more than what he was doing. Yeah. And I think that's, there's parallels there to, to Rudich. And he demanded so much from us, but you know, the, the unfortunate part is not everybody, as we all know, as coaches understands what goes on behind the scenes. And, um, he, he, he devoted everything, all of his time to the team. And, and it's just, it's, it's kind of parallels to what we see with the last dance. And is, you know, going into this next question, it's, it's really broad, but I'm going to try to narrow it down a little bit in terms of, you know, what was it like to play for him on a daily basis? I want to kind of stick with this, this thread of, of a tour, you know, your, your water polo tour, the world tour. Um, you know, is it, 
sometimes we do things as coaches and in hindsight, we look back and go, that was a mental challenge. You know, we, we overcame it and now we're better on the other side. Sometimes we do it without knowing we're doing it. Are do you feel very pretty confident as a player, as a former player of his, that almost everything he was doing was on purpose? Oh yeah. Everything had a reason (laughs) behind it. Even though there's people that I think thought he was just trying to experiment with us and and all of that. No way. Everything was with a purpose and it's interesting. Uh, When he left here, he had me go by his apartment because I lived down in Long Beach and he did. And he left a bunch of bags and he said, you know, next time you come to Europe and we train with each other, can you bring these, whatever. Um, He's like, you know, you can look through these bags, whatever. He had everything documented, you know, and that leads you to understand that, you know, there's times when you're in the middle of a nine hour practice, you're going like, what are we doing here? But there was a purpose behind everything. And, and I think that became even more clear as I sifted, you know, through this bag and it, it, it's just incredible that there was a plan behind everything. There was a plan behind the quote unquote misery of some of, some of the trainings. There, there was a plan behind it. Yeah. And so what can you tell us about the day to day? You know, and I'm going to start with Dan on this. What, what could you tell us about the day to day as his assistant coach in terms of preparation? When, what time you got to the pool? Um, what responsibilities did he hand over? Uh, to you, Dan, as his assistant. Well, well, first of all, I I just like to say that, like, I I I'm definitely aware of the fact that I of how lucky I was to get this position. I I mean, I started in late 2002, mm-hmm. and I was just a young coach, and I I was at Loyola High School. I've I've said this before, but um, you know, I just finished working for Jovan as a as an assistant coach, and I know that after I came back from Spain, I know that Jovan put a good word into Ratko about me, you know, and um, it fell into my lap and I was so lucky that I honestly, I wonder how it happened. And, and I almost didn't take it, you know, and, and luckily like some people around me were like, no, 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 you, you better take this. And I listened to them. So that was good. But so I had an approach to working for Ratko um, that was, you know, I'm a young coach, I'm inexperienced with ideas, but I'm, it's educational for me. Um, so it's like a crash course in, in water polo and, and education. And so I, I didn't really speak too much, man. I took handwritten notes in every meeting and I have still have them. And I, I tried to soak up as much as I could from him. Um, and we, listen, we spent all day at the Los Al training base. I lived in Los Angeles at that time. I wasn't going back and forth from Los Al to, to LA. I, I was there in the morning when the guys got there to swim and I stayed until practice ended at night. And we trained there all the time. Even if there were only five people there to do a conditioning workout in the morning, and Adam knows about those, we were there. It was me and Radko. And he, he just, he worked so hard he was not lazy at all. Like he was an extremely hard worker. He was driven and he got stuff done. And it was like, look, it wasn't like you, you had a choice, whether you're going to work, you're either work or you're out. Yeah. And that's for the players too. Right. And that's for the assistant coach too. I, I was going to work or I'm out. He's going to find somebody else. And um, it wasn't always pleasant, you know, to be around such a strong personality. Um, but I, like I said, I tried to absorb and I, I did not speak very much 
to be honest with you. Like it's not, he didn't saddle me with a ton of responsibility right away. I, I spent a lot of time just watching and not speaking because I was a young coach now coaching the national team. And the worst thing I could possibly do is get in there and start running my mouth. Like I knew what I was talking about. I, I just didn't feel like that was my, my place. So I just tried to soak up as much as I could. And why wouldn't I, yeah. why to me, you know, to resist learning from a guy like that, that's not smart. And so, but I, but the, the, the sad thing is like, you see that all around the world in different leaders and positions, like your ego gets in the way and you're, you're, you're threatened by somebody and you don't want to, it's easy to stop learning, right. To think that you've arrived to some level and, and, uh, but the best leaders are always trying to continue to learn more. But and in his case, I was trying to soak up everything I could gradually over time, Steve, I got more responsibility you know, I started running some camps and, and he would give me different segments of training that I could run conditioning segments. Once he knew that I was trustworthy and that I would, you know, kind of like follow the plan of his. And I, I, I gradually got more responsibility, but at the beginning I was like silent. Yeah. It must be difficult to, I mean, because it's not like you're some, you know, guy who just showed up on the pool. I mean, you were an elite player. You, you played at, you know, a top university, national team experience, professional experience. So, Sometimes, I mean, to, to take a back seat and just kind of keep your mouth shut and, and absorb and, and learn, that goes back to my first point, you know, in the beginning of the podcast is like, do you, th- and this may be a rhetorical question, but that's probably some of the resistance that came from the, the current or, you know, coaches here, domestic coaches going like, I'm not willing to go back and just sit on my you know, and, and just listen and not be a major part of this development of the team, that's going to cause some rifts. That's going to cause some major issues. And I would imagine that Racco throughout his career has had to fight off people who are trying to like, kind of, you know, the assistant who wants to become the head coach, you know, like we see yeah. that in every single sport, you know, NFL, NBA, major league baseball, you know, yeah. that that's going on. The, the guy who's trying to get favor with the players and things like that. Um, yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting that it's like just you and him, you know, like, okay, you're either with me, you have my loyalty or you don't. Um, yeah. And so, you know, Adam, going back to this, you know, I, briefly on this topic about, you know, what it was like to play for him. We've, we've heard so many outrageous stories about, you know, the work ethic, talking to Dan, talking to other former players, and even talking to some players that um, he was coaching at Pro Reco um, that I'm connected with. Um, what was that like? I mean, you know, I think some people don't believe it. I think some people just right. listen to it and don't believe. Nine hours, come on, they're exaggerating. So set well, us straight. Well, the, the interesting thing there is, like Dan said, it's not for everybody, right? There, there was a lot of change, especially in the early going, right? And not everybody's meant for certain environments. And if you, when I look back, you know, uh, if you, it was challenging, but now that I'm out of it and I look back, it was a beautiful thing. And to just start back where kind of Dan brought up, you know, whether it was one player or two, you know, I feel like to, in today's age, you know, if only one player can make the training, then maybe the coach doesn't show up. I'll never forget getting up 5.15 a.m. at UCLA, getting down to the Belmont with no traffic in under 25 minutes. <laughs> and I would show up and there would be two of us in the pool, right? Whether it was because people were still in school and they're up north or wherever they may be, right? 
and there was Rudich in the, those first two years. And then when Dan came on, there was Rudich and Dan. Um, and that, that made you go, wow, this guy is all about the team, you know? And I think that's something that sometimes is misconstrued about him. People maybe think it's all about him, but it's not. It's always about the group. So on those days where, yes, we spent nine plus hours a day training, um, you days that you didn't want to be there, right? You found a way, but then he found a way, you know, whether it would be on our 40 something 200 for time, him coming over and saying, let's go. And, 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 and he just had a way about him that you, you wanted to work. And there was no question, like Dan said, you either work or you're out, but in an environment like that, it's so important to have a leader that you want to work for. And, and I do think to set the record straight, uh, what that group went through, no other group, including, I believe the teams that he's had in, in, in Europe have ever gone through because he had more time with us than any other, other of his national teams, right? Because of the professional leagues, et cetera. Yeah. And what, what we went through uh, on a daily basis was simply a, we can call it mental warfare. It was a test. Every single thing, whether it was playing soccer, right? He would play with us. I'll never forget it. It's so funny. We wouldn't stop until his team won, right? <laughs> so if it was 40 minutes or if it was two hours, but we knew, imagine this in this, uh, in this day and age, we knew after soccer, we were going to the pool, whether it was for an hour and a half of weights and then a couple hours of swimming or going to the pool. Most of the time we would have a test set. We knew what was coming after that, right? And I believe a lot of times that there would be people who maybe would save up and not want to really go for it. No, everybody on that field, whether it was Brandon Brooks knocking Rudich to the ground or Rudich knocking Brooks to the ground. Um, <laughs> I remember that. Every, everybody was going for it. And you knew what was coming behind. And I just, it says so much about um, what the group, even though there was days uh, where, it got old. Um, we knew that he was all in and he was willing to do whatever he could to uh, give us the confidence to make it through things, to, to, to give us uh, uh, the necessary tools, whether it be from a financial standpoint, whatever it may be. And that made the daily basis uh, easier. But there's no doubt, Steve, you know, you, you could catch yourself like, why are there two of us swimming for three hours straight here? Yeah. Uh, um, and, and you question those things. But again, when I, when I talked about it earlier, there was a plan behind everything. Yeah. And what he did is give a group of young kids confidence very quickly that he knew that we needed in a, in less than a four year period to play against the very best. And that was, I believe really the reason, uh, behind, uh, each one of those days. Yeah. And that kind Steve, of, oh, go ahead, Dan. Sorry. Can I just tell yeah. you that Adam's, Adam's favorite, uh, phrase to me was Layson, you gotta you gotta call the dogs off you gotta call the dogs <laughs> off <laughs> yeah, I could... he was just so tired but then they always found a way to push through you know and that was just it was incredible you know i, I mean steve i think I, I think it's you know for example we would have a morning of two hours of weights and whether that was weights in the weight room or on the deck where we would do a exercise and jump in the pool right um, so those morning trainings, you know, four hours, but then 
you knew you had to come back for another four at night, right? And whether that be the last 45 minutes of literally a short course with no whistle and just fighting, um, people, the group just kept coming back day after day when he finally got the group that he knew would work the right way. And th that's, that is why I say it was a beautiful thing, right? That the group gave them, gave their individual self to something greater. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think, you know, and you, Dan, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I, I think it would be hard to find a collection of individuals willing to go through that, uh, this day and age, you know, I, I think it would be tough, you know, and, and there's, and there's valid reasons for that now, you know, times have changed too, but, um, it, it was just, that's why I think it was a thing of beauty. You, you had guys that were at wits in for hours on end, weeks on end, years on end. Um, but they found a way to do it. Yeah. I mean, a couple of thoughts that I've had kind of going into, the, you know, talking, uh, this last segment is, you know, and, and it kind of touches on this, what was the secret of his success? Um, you know, coaching in college, you're, you're recruiting all the best players that you feel have that mentality that you have, you know, as a, as a former player or as a coach. And you find out pretty quickly that some people don't have it. Um, and the goal is always to have a collection of the people who think the same. But what's weird about, in terms of work ethic, I'm talking, but and competitiveness. Right. But what's weird is that, you know, you guys in that 2000 to 2004 time frame, you were so removed from the success of the 80s that there was really, it was like, I would imagine that you guys had this sort of underlying feeling that, you know, we're going to change the world. We can do something really special. And I don't know if that's something that was verbalized or if that's something that he instilled in you guys as a group. Um, you know, you, you mentioned, Hey, I don't know if a group can, can go through that same thing. You know, I, I agree with you. Um, but are we getting to the point where this generation is now, removed from that 2008 team where they're doing their own sort of, you know, thing. And I, I don't know, that's, I guess, a rhetorical question, but do you feel like that may be part of his success? His secret is to like, just making sure he has the right mentality around him rather than the best players. Or do you think it was like the best players and the right mentality or, you know, Dan, what do you think? I mean, is is it both or was it more important for him to have the mental toughness guy? You know, Steve, it's, he's a smart man. He's a very, very smart person. So he, you know, you, you can't, you got to have some talent, <laughs> you know, but, um, so, but I think that definitely the work ethic supersedes the talent and, and you're going to find the people that want to put the work in. And I think he's a charismatic enough leader that he can find people with talent that want to do the work. I mean, we had talented players on that team, but I'll also tell you that some talented players were cut and especially early on. And he's a smart guy. I mean, he just, you just had to want to do the work. You had to do the work. And, and even the most talented player would be released if he didn't want to do the work, but he, he's charismatic, you know, so he can get, he can motivate people and, and his, his record speaks for itself, you know, and that's, that's, I think you, you mentioned like, 
the, the players in the U.S. had to take a leap of faith based on his past record. I mean, I don't think that right away they felt like, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do this. I think they felt like, holy cow, like, I don't know. But over time, when results start to improve and this and that, that confidence is built. That doesn't happen right away. That happens over an extended period of time. Yeah. Adam, do you think it was a men- yeah. mental thing? I mean, being in the water with, with those guys, I'm, and I, I mean, obviously oh, yeah. don't want to call anybody out, but could you see it on people's faces and, and their sort of locker room talk that it's like, I don't know if I could do this. Well, I think, look, no doubt. Um, look, were there more talented players out there that didn't make that team that were better than me? Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Um, but it was all about the mentality and it was all about the group. And um, you could kind of say that through the process, there were people who weren't able to hang in there. Right. And they weeded themselves out through the process and the early going, like Dan said, uh, he was a very, he's a very, very smart guy. And, you know, he's not just watching for, uh, Adam Wright or Lane or Tony, the person in the pool, but he's watching everything outside the pool because he knows that the group will only be as strong as everybody within it. And so, you know, in the early going, you know, quote unquote, if you were to look at some of the players that were leaving, you know, yeah, they were maybe the bigger names. Um, but there was a reason behind that. And then as the, as, as the, you know, when you said, you know, was there talk about like, oh, you know, we're going to go and win. It wasn't, it was all about the process. And, when, you know, when I think of the process, I'll never forget in the early going, we're, we're in Hungary uh, on Marguerite Island playing in front of 3000 fans. And, you know, they were like the Showtime Lakers all about, you know, the counterattack and, you know, they're winning by 10 and the crowds just with their champ sticks, you know, Rhea, Rhea, hunger. And now they're winning by 12 and 15. And then through this process, you know, all the way right before the Olympics when we played them at CDM and we beat them. And then in the Olympic games, you know, uh, having a, a game go right down to the wire with him, he, he was, his secret was through this journey, he's going to instill a mentality, no matter what environment we're in, we believe in ourselves and each other. And he's also building confidence and it, it took time, but there was really never a talk ever of, you know, we're going to be the best or whatever. It was, it was the process. Yeah. And the process is, is really uh, creating a, a strong mentality. Yeah. And so Steve, go ahead. Yeah, both you guys, I'm sorry to interject. No, I go. just want to say like, you've both said uh, that you don't know if it would be possible with a, with a group of, of players today. And I, and I got to say that I think with the right leader, you know, if you have, and these leaders are special, they don't come along all the time. Uh, that I think that you could find a group that's willing to go through quite a bit. Um, I still have faith in humanity, you know, despite all the talk about different generations and phones and all that stuff, I still have faith in, in work ethic and humanity. And I think with the right leader and the right group of guys, I don't know if you could do the exact same thing, but you could certainly, you could certainly go through a lot and go through a similar type of journey. I don't know if it could be the exact same. That was pretty, something pretty incredible. Yeah, no doubt. I I agree. And I believe and now there's actually more players than our generation and, mm-hmm. and better players. I don't know if we would be able to have the pool time that we had. <laughs> I mean, that's no doubt. That's so we may yeah, not be able to spend time. So. It's so, it's so funny that like 
the first or one of the first things that Adam mentions is, is pool time. And I guess that's what USA Water Polo is doing with building this new pool. Like they're they're able to control it. And, but it's so sad that, you know, that is like a real consideration. Like and I and, and Dan, I, I agree with you. I mean, if if I said that they couldn't, I, I, I misspoke. I do feel like having a 13 year old son and having going through, you know, that sort of that process or that mentality of what he's going through. Kids today have it way worse than we did. I mean, it's just true. Like mm-hmm. they have so much more pressure, so many more things on their plate. So it's mm-hmm. so much harder to get into school than it was for for you or me or Adam. Uh, it was hard, but it was way it's way harder for them now. And um, there's there's different external pressures that are are affecting this generation that we won't true. ever understand. But um, you know, I think my point really was, you know, getting back to how do we how do we as a unit or as as a country get players that have that same mentality and keep them long term you know which is something a topic mm-hmm. of conversation we've had over the course of several episodes of the podcast and and off 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 of the podcast you know just just different conversations with coaches so um you know yeah and steve i think one thing with that too right um cuz i kind of mentioned it too I, I that's where it goes back to what dan said it, it there's so many more pieces like we, you know, we probably didn't have in our budget at the time to take a 70 something day trip. Right. But then that means Rackle needed to go find the ways to get it into the budget yeah. and raise the money. Just like now, as time evolves, our kids are not staying with water polo as long because they feel they need to go work earlier. Right. But if you're going all encompassing, uh, you know, with what a was doing, then not only are we creating maybe more financial, uh, resources for our kids, but also establishing, uh, uh, you know, mentors that have, we have so many successful people in our sport, right? And is that a way to keep kids going? And and those are the little things that people, I think, didn't see with Rudich or failed to remember that, you know, you can't just say, all right, guys, we're going to go work for four years for nine hours a day, right? There, there's got to be uh, things, there's got to be support in the right way, whether it was us going and eating at soup plantation every day in the, mm-hmm. in the latter part. Right. So it, it's just that, that, that stuff is critical and you're absolutely right. The pressures are different for kids now. I get it. You know, you have kids that have pressure to get into the working world. So maybe they only do one four year period, yeah. but if we had those auxiliary things in place, so they didn't feel like uh, uh, they're going to be way behind in their careers, um, then, then maybe we have the ability to create groups like that again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, off topic really quick. Where can someone find or where is Project Gold published? Is that just a document that's been set to the f- set ablaze and thrown in the trash or <laughs> is that somewhere? I think so. I have copies of it, okay. I think. I, yeah, I have it, too. And I think it's uh, I'm sure, you know, it became property of U.S. Water Polo. Yeah. I, but th- I you know, they veered off that kind of right after he left. Gotcha. Uh, I had a, I had a coach actually ask me, uh, cause I've spoken about it before and I had a coach actually ask me for it and I, and I gladly sent it to him. And I think the reaction, you know, you can get all excited about reading it because you go, Oh my gosh. And then you start reading it and you go, Oh my God, like, <laughs> this is, I don't, I don't even want to read this. Like it's too much. You know, it's, it's crazy. The level of detail and page after page of, of, stuff you know to prepare this thing it's it's quite impressive yeah 
Yeah. So what were some of the things that you saw were flaws in what he was doing? Um, Dan, I'm, I'm going to start with you. What, what, what did you see something that he could have done better? Or maybe he admitted that he was like, I could be better at this or that. You know, nobody's perfect. And um, I think Ratko, like in terms of a, in terms of a American national team coach where we don't have the level of professional league that you have in Europe, uh, and we don't have necessarily the water polo school as well developed as some countries do, that the American players that arrive to the national team level still have quite a bit of fundamental skills development that they, that they could continue to do. And Ratko, you know, straight up told me, I don't coach the fundamentals. You know, Ratko is a, is a classic national team head coach, right? He manages the players. He builds a strong group. He, he handles the organization, uh, you know, whose organizational skills were second to none. His planning, his contacts, all that stuff was second to none. But, you know, possibly an American, somebody, you know, ideally outfitted to be the American head coach has all of that stuff, but also uh, – fundamental skills development, maybe a little bit more detailed, maybe, maybe. Um, and, you know, because we still have so much development to do. Ratko's, Ratko's idea was like, I'm going to develop the players by playing games, um, you know? And so maybe one critique could be, well, there's still a lot of fundamental stuff that we could work on, you know, just detailed fundamental work. But then again, you know, older players are less, uh, less open to that type of stuff. They're kind of set in their ways. Also, you know, his temper, I would say, was uh, maybe something that was a less than desirable quality. Sometimes, you know, he had a very strong personality. It wasn't always easy to be around him. Yeah. Adam, what about? That was only, that, that was only on the basketball court with you and him. <laughs> oh, my God. I was going to get, I'm going to get to that story. I'm going to get to it. <laughs> what do you... I, yeah, I mean, you know, Dan and I, you know, I was saying to Dan, today when we were talking about this before we went on you know it's sad when I go through and look at all this stuff it gives me like the chills to think about all this again and you know when, when we were talking about flaws we were just kind of you know I said damn it's hard for me to think of that but everybody does have flaws but like I, I started off with like what was his willingness to assimilate to a new culture check he checked that box it was incredible absolutely incredible right English as a second language check that box um his willingness to protect the team you know i've said it in several interviews first team trip we're in italy he had just left the italian national team the italian national team sitting next to us they have a vegetable that we didn't get and he's flying into the kitchen going off on the uh, on the chefs right like check that box and it's like you know it, it it's then then when i think about you know could we tactic you know college is different than the international but you know there's so much more i guess tactics involved in college, and I was saying to Dan, maybe tactically we could have done stuff, but then, you know, Rudich always came back to us, water polo is a simple game, and why make it more difficult than it needs to be? And we had a very fundamental, fundamental, simple, tactical approach. So I guess you could say, well, maybe we could have done more there from that standpoint, you know, then, you know, we, Dan and I did, you know, yeah, in the U.S., I think we are very deficient with fundamentals. And um, we probably could have hit that a little bit more, but then his thing was all about playing as much as possible. So, you know, I think I would agree with Dan on the, on the fundamental piece that we probably could have used that, uh, a little bit more than anything else. Um, and then, you know, I think the, the other piece, um, would be, uh, uh, 
you know, where maybe knowing when to maybe back off after a certain stretch. Um, <laughs> there was a reason, there was a reason behind all of that. So it's hard, you know, but really the fundamental piece I think could have uh, helped us a little bit more. Yeah. Plus hindsight is obviously so valuable. I mean, if you're a raw emotion type coach, it's really hard to tame those emotions when you're super frustrated about something. And I mean, right. he may have, re- yeah. he may have regrets, you know what I mean? He may say he may be the better person to ask what his flaws are. And I probably put his, some of his former players in tears because you all went through that, you know? And, and I think, um, you know, one, one thing, as I'm listening to both of you, you have this thread or the, the commonality of, of the fundamentals and, and how his mentality was playing as much as possible, which I actually agree with. Um, you know, I think playing is the best way to, to learn. But do you think that is how he's coaching every single national team in his history? Or do you think he comes to the U.S. and goes, OK, here's where we are lacking. Here's where I think we can really exploit their talent let's plan to do this in terms of playing a lot of games. Let's not focus too much on these fundamentals because we'll get enough players that have the right fundamentals, but these guys just need to play so much. That's the only way the United States of America is going to be successful. Or do you think that's how he approaches pro reco Yugoslavia, like every Italy, every team that he's coaching? I, I mean, I think, and Dan, then you, you know, I think he approaches each uh, each one differently. Right. And I think he knew the biggest thing that we were lacking was experience. Right. So that's why we were taking those trips and that's why teams were coming here constantly. We were hosting world league super finals. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, just like now, you know, wherever he's gone, right. He created the Italian professional league to what it is today. And at that time when he was there, he, it was the best league in the world. Right. And then, you know, he also he has to adapt too when he's the national team coach of Yugoslavia or Croatia or Italy, right? Those players are playing professional, so there's no way he could do the trainings that we were doing because they're they're playing nine months of the year. He doesn't have the sheer time with them. He would he knows he would break them down. Um, and I think the other point is is like he 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 was again it goes back to gaining as much experience here. So he was creating the leagues, but he did he really created the Adriatic league to the levels that it was at now. So I, I think, I think wherever he's at, there's, you know, he, he's adapting for sure. Dan. I, I think that that is absolutely true, Adam. And that is part of the reason that he's had so much longevity as a head coach is that he can adapt. He's, he's very smart. So he, you know, sometimes coaches really get set in their ways and, and they can't, they can't exist in a different environment than the one they just came from where they had success, if that makes sense. But when you look at a coach who's had success across multiple national teams of different countries that have different cultures, and um, he's absolutely looking at what he has, and he's very smart about how he adjusts, how he coaches. You cannot coach Reco the same way that you coached the United States national team in 2000. I mean, he knew that our strength was not going to be the vertical game you know, and he tried to play to his strengths and that was, okay, we need to, we need to grind. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, and, Dan, you said that move. about Reco, you know, when he was here, you know, cause I'm always uh, watching, right. They were, we were playing a game at sacred heart. Funny enough, they were playing soccer out on the field before the game uh, this past year. Um, 
but I'm watching how he interacts with those players, right? Those are the most, you know, they're like the Yankees, right? The, the, the players, the best players in the world. And his interactions were completely different. So for sure, I mean, he, he is adapting, right? And uh, uh, he knows that he couldn't, he, he has to adapt to the given environment. And our, and our environment, quite frankly, was unique to him because there is no professional league here. He had kids uh, that were brand new to the national team. He had kids that had more time than any of his other players in his previous stops. And, and I think the interesting part, like Dan said, you don't have a coach be a part of every Olympic Games from Mexico City through Rio that isn't willing to adapt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have a question that I wrote down. So I'm putting you on the spot. And if it doesn't work out, I'll, I'll cut it out. But right. to, to first to Dan and then to Adam what was a moment where something happened like a player I'm thinking of like a player getting cut or, you know, maybe Racco going off on you or, or something. What was one thing that you remember that put you on, on notice? Like, Oh my gosh, that guy just got cut. Like I thought that guy was making it for sure and kind of put you in your place in terms of like, I better keep my enthusiasm and my motivation as high as I can because anybody's on the chopping block. Um, well, I'll, I'll go first on that one. And I, and I'm just going to say that, um, from the very, fr- the, the, there was never, I didn't, I didn't need a moment like that. Like I looked at this opportunity as like a wide eyed kid whose, whose horizons had just been broadened like further than I could ever imagine in the, in the blink of an eye. And, uh, I, I don't feel like I ever put myself in jeopardy or needed motivation because I felt quite motivated just working for the guy and having the opportunity um so yeah adam you know i i think you know from the very first trip it was established when um you know people got in trouble per se for going out it it was it was a new time like you were going to work so hard that you better take advantage of your rest and like dan said you were always on point and I remember one time uh, we were on a trip and, uh, uh, and we stopped in Hungary and it had been a long trip. And Barbara used to have uh, switched the groups of like three, four people to go and go get water out. And we had to go into the city to get water. And I'll never forget, we stayed longer than we should have. And we snuck in a maybe a McDonald's run. Um, <laughs> and, that, and needless to say, that didn't go over well. Right. And... Um, but like Dan, you, you, you needed to be ready to go every day. And if you weren't, you, you were going to hear it, but then also you, it, it would be so clear, right? Because it was just like, it was just a, a freight train moving forward. Right. And if you, if you weren't on board, you were going to be well behind the group. So, but I do remember, you know, he established early on that there's no room, um, to not follow the rules. Yeah. So from that, that moment forward, everybody knew that if you, if you, if you went outside uh, the rules, then you weren't going to be a part of it. Yeah. So what are, um, what are some of your most, you know, let's pick maybe two, one or two most memorable experiences that you had with him uh, starting with Dan. Uh, what are some couple of the most memorable experiences that you remember with Rekka Rudich? Um, 
Well, you know, I remember a, a lot of it and I just, I spent so much time with the guy. We'd go have coffee, we'd have lunch. Like, I, I mean, I was like his little apprentice, you know, and it was um, just spending time with the guy was great. The trips were fun. I think honestly, like one of the memories that stands out, you guys mentioned soccer, like he used to get so mad at me during soccer because I would make like some cross court pass that Brett Ormsby would steal and go score like a, basically a one on nobody. And we'd, and we'd lose or we'd be go behind. And he was so mad at me for that <laughs> like genuinely and then we played basketball one time in greece and uh, i mean we were going to go train after uh go to the pool afterwards the players weren't there it was like all the coaches playing basketball in this gym and i mean he we he went after me so hard like i came to the pool i had like rake marks down my back and like we'd almost been fighting um and the guys were looking at me like what the it was just it was insane. <laughs> I mean, you remember that, Adam, right? Like, yeah, we well, we were there. We were in the side gym lifting. While you oh, that's right. That's basketball. right. You guys were looking through the window. You were looking through the window. <laughs> it was like Freddy Krueger attacked his back. It was unbelievable. <laughs> that's so funny. You guys are probably dying laughing behind the glass. Oh, but then oh, after, remember how you had to put the cream on his back? That was, I mean, the, I mean, there's just so many classics. This, the sunscreen. It was, it was, oh, it, yeah, that's one I like to forget. But they like to remind <laughs> me about that one. Oh, that's what I, I don't. I don't even need to hear details on the sunscreen, but I can already imagine <laughs> what it must must have looked like. Yeah, it was uh, not so pleasant. Um, what What was the uh, for for Adam? What was your worst day? Is there? What was the worst thing oh. that happened? You know, that might be a better one for Dan to thumb through his his notes. But, you know, I, I, I think um, probably, Dan, what was the set? Six, six, four hundred. I don't even remember. But, you know, I, it, we were up into the 13,000 mark. Long course. Long course meters after two hours of wait. Um, that was a tough one. But then I, it becomes a memorable experience because part of that is you got Weigel and me, you had Sags and Larry and Omar who were the fast guys and you had Weigel and me trying to get into their jet stream all the time, right? So it becomes a yes. game of cat and, mouse, <laughs> cat and mouse. So it's kind of classic at the same time, but like there was all the days were hard, but that one day where we were up into the 13,000s after waves was, oh, was really, really tough, Jeez. you know, and, and, all you can think about is, you know, getting to your couch and, and eating, you know, um, that was one of the tough ones, you know, for, for sure. That, that one stands out for me too. And I, I have it written down, but I, Steve, the sets were just like, just think of the worst kind of sets that you could do. Like if you, if you did 10 twos and then you did 10 ones, now 10 twos again, then 10 one fifties, then 10 ones, like, you know, just the kind of sets that just numb your mind, yeah. but there's so many of them until you get to 12,000, 13,000 meters long course. It was, it was a sight to see. And, and I, I'll tell you this, like I learned a lot as a coach about just how far you can push people um, because those were new limits that I've never witnessed before. And these guys survived and, you know, it's not like you want to go there all the time, but it really showed you about, the resilience of humanity to be able to withstand this stuff. It was, it was a good lesson. I think we were into like the forties of two hundreds within other swims of that set. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. Jeez Louise. That sounds, 
That sounds terrible. Um, so now we're well, getting... Steve, you know, what's really terrible is try to think of something to do with the goalies for that amount of time. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, <laughs> well, and you had mentioned, yeah, they're, they're... <laughs> you had mentioned off offline, you know, before we started recording, this was maybe a week ago when we were talking, um, that he Racco had like this sort of riddle that he would ask the, the players about like, are you tired? Basically asking the players, are you tired yet? Could you, do you remember you mentioning that to me? No, that was Jack. That was Jack Bowen that he said oh, that on. That he, yeah. sa- he said that to Jack or? No, I think when Jack was working for him, like in the first part of the cycle, one, the quote was something like, if you're tired, you're out of shape. And if you're not tired, like, why aren't you going harder or something? Like just a, kind of a point of like, you can't really win, you know, like just, just bear down and just get it done. Yeah. You can't, don't discuss. There's nothing to discuss. Yeah. Yeah. You know? There's no shortcut there. Um, There's no discussion. So you guys, you're you're going through this all of this, and then you get to the 2004 Olympic Games. Uh, to Dan, describe the Olympic Games to us. I know it's very broad, but I know you have something in your mind about about this topic or this question. Describe the t- 2004 Olympic Games for us. Um, well, first of all, I I just was astonished that I was actually going to the Olympic Games. And it was just something that was so incredible to me that um, that when we finally arrived, it was, it was almost surreal, you know, but there we were. And, and, I, and I'll say like in my mind, I had the movie like it was a young team going through a lot, really grinding in the move. And the thing that stood out in my mind was this movie Miracle. Right. And so they had this young team, inexperienced underdog with a very tough coach that was pushing them to the absolute limit, you know, saying again, again, until they're vomiting. and over the, the two years that I was there, the level of play was improving. Like we hadn't had the results yet, but then you always keep thinking in the back of your mind, okay, well, that's all right. We're going to have the, maybe we'll have the result when it matters most, yeah. you know, and it's going to be, I have faith. It's going to be this miracle. And, and, you know, we got our bracket, our bracket was Serbia, Croatia, Russia, Hungary, us and Kazakhstan, you know, it was like, okay, well, there's a challenge for you because, that's a tough bracket. But sure enough, in the first game against Croatia, we were up the whole time. We were up 4-2 at halftime. And, you know, Croatia starts to come back at the end, and they tie it up. But we draw an exclusion with, I don't know how much time left, 10, 11 seconds left, call timeout. And Tony hits a game-winning shot from one, a catch-and-shoot at the buzzer to win the game. And in our first game of the Olympics, we won the game. And it was like, okay, this is – it's going to happen. Like, it's happening. You know, we're going to – and um, it didn't happen. So in the next game, we beat Kazakhstan. And then we had a very, very tough game against Hungary where we lost 7-5, but it was close all the way. And then we had to play Russia next. And they were very good at that time. And it was like the, the game after Russia was going to be Serbia. And so we felt like, okay, Russia is our chance. You know, we got to beat them. And, and we just didn't have a good game. And they beat us 9-7. And so then we were faced with trying to beat Serbia to get into the medal round. And, and they were too strong. And we lost. And I uh, and I have to in, just quickly interrupt just for the for the audience to know that Serbia and Montenegro were one at that time. Yes. So that Serbia and Montenegro were one. That's something that you can't really discount. <laughs> no. And um, so that we lost Serbia four, nine to four, and then we're out of the medal round. And then you know what? To the credit of the guys, we won our last two games. We beat Australia, and we fin- and we beat Italy, and. 
there it was. There's Rudich again going back and beating one of the old teams that he had coached, you know, and we beat Italy to finish seventh. Yeah. And the three eventual medal winners came from our side of the bracket. Uh, Russia, Serbia, and Hungary all came from our side. You know, I, Adam, I still wonder how Greece got on that other side of the bracket, you know, with the, with the games in Athens and stuff. Like, it's supposed to be a blind draw, you know. But uh, it was it – was, exhausting and it was it was sad because i you know it was just really really disappointing it was very very hard uh, adam what do, what do you remember i mean hearing that story about that first game just i mean i wasn't even there and i i'm getting chill so what was it like as a player in in the water at that time well i think i think uh you know i'll never forget before that first game you know we had done so many introductions before but this one was different right there's just a huge wave of emotions, you know, all that we had gone through. And now we're at this moment. I was like, I felt like I was going to pass out. Right. Which was so weird to me, but it was like, Oh my God. But then we also knew that game was do or die for us. And that led to part of the decision. If Dan remembers, you know, uh, there was debate whether we should go to the opening ceremonies or not. The game was was too close and Rudich, there was a reason behind it. He didn't want us on our feet, you know, for that long, because, Come to find out when we went to opening ceremonies in, in 2008, there was more time between our first game, but it's exhausting. You're on your feet for so long. So he, he was right on that call, although a lot of us were disappointed, right? Yeah. But what, what I do remember is, is that Tony hitting that shot was so critical because if we lost that game, then we were it, – it, it probably was done. So we knew, right? And then – I think the other thing, you know, when it was all said and done, the only teams we lost to were gold, silver, and bronze. And the reality there is, you know, it didn't help at the time, but, you know, I think the one game that I have a little bit of regret on is Russia. I think, you know, we, we, we weren't ready for, for that game as well as we could have been. And that's on, on us, but that we knew that game was critical and it just it did not go well. Um, and the, but the, the bracketing was completely different. You know, it, it was the top three from the group, you know, not not the crossovers that there are now and yeah. all of that. So. So there was no um, second chance, basically, after your group. None. Yeah. No, they just. Yeah. And then, you know, and then we won the rest of our games, including Italy, like Dan said. And, you know, it was it was tough, you know, but I will say. Um, go back to the beginning of this when I said we were losing to Hungary by. Uh, 12, 13, 14 goals, right? To play the best team in the world to two goals. And and I think Kimini at the time had said, you know, that that was probably their toughest game and one that they were worried about because of where we had come as a group. So, um, but I can say that, you know, it was our first experience. I remember us pulling into the village and the outfitting, that was all new to me um, and, and most of us. Um, so it was exciting. Um, but, you know, I, I really believe that our efforts did pay off because being in that group it could have been a lot worse we could have gotten absolutely drilled and 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 for us to go on that stage and be creation the first game uh, um showed that what he was doing was working yeah yeah no it's uh it's really interesting to see and just looking at the roster you know for for the u.s at the time you know having seven looks like seven or eight players going back to 2008 seems to be something that we could talk about in a little bit, but talk about the value of experience. Um, and so 
now you're you get through the Olympic Games, and I mean, was there any other ta- uh, thing on the Olympics that you wanted to mention, Dan or, or Adam? No, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't. I, I mean, I think it was, you know, uh, it was it it hurt. It was a bummer because I, like Dan said, I think we we did have we were starting to really instill belief in each other and ourselves and where we were going. And um, I, I just wish that the, the result could have been different there. Right. Because a group did give so much, but that's life too. But what we were able to do, I think is look at each other and know that we did everything we could, yeah. you know, and, and that, that is really important in the end. Dan. Yeah, I, I, it was just, it was really difficult. I mean, the, the, the tournament in the Olympic Games is two weeks, it's two weeks long. It's a day on and a day off. It's exhausting. It's one of the only sports that goes the entire time. And, you know, you're living in these, um, in these apartments with, with your coaches and the stress level is so high that like by the end, you're just ready to, you're ready to snap, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I just, yeah, it was just, it was sad, but like, of course the effort of the guys was you know you couldn't question it and and like adam said i mean with all that work that they had done i mean how you know you got to feel satisfied with the work you put in yeah and so you know we get we get through the olympic games at that time both adam well yeah both of you guys did you feel like okay great we we made a name for our our country we're we're back in the mix I can't wait for 2008 with this group and with our coach. Was that something that it was like a given, like Racco was coming back? Well, actually, no, okay. that wasn't really the feeling. I think um, because I think for certain players it was, but then for other players, they kind of announced right away that they wouldn't be coming back. Oh. And so that was kind of disheartening because you're, we were kind of just counting on, Hey, these guys are going to come back and, and yeah, if they do, okay, we're ready. But the other, the other thing that was really hard after, after Athens was Ratko, he came out with a training plan for the fall. That was the fall. Like we had just finished, I think in (laughs) August and he's ready to get back at it in the fall. And it's a very, very detailed and ambitious training plan for fall, right? Because the very next year, I think Adam is world championships or something like that is that right well yes yes and so he you know and we are like if i could go back and advise radko if i was older and wiser i would have told him look don't do anything until january just give these guys free time give them off give everybody off we're all just ready we're done you know and he came out with his plan and was like oh my god even i was like holy cow i don't know if i can do this again like i need to so and I also think that, you know, Ratko saw that some of the players that he had kind of anticipated would, would continue for another Olympics were, were not continuing. And that was disheartening to him. So the work wasn't getting any easier. In fact, it was getting harder, yeah. you know. And so, um, and not to mention the fact we beat Croatia. You know, Ratko beat Croatia with the U.S. team. And so the Croatians were, they were embarrassed by that. Yeah. And they started talking to him, you know. and. Adam, when when did you find out that Ratko wasn't going to come back to coach the team? Well, yeah, you know, Bailey and I uh, were living in Russia at the time, playing over there. 
Um, so all this was starting to happen. I remember talking with Dan, um, and those were the days long before you could Skype or sell, you know, it was like you had a calling card, right? And um, the, the bummer, the real bummer was I wish I was here um, because I think as a whole, we could have done a better job of trying to keep him, you know, and I don't think everybody was fully supporting him, maybe even those in, inside of our circle, um, whether it be, you know, staff or um, whatever it may be. Um, but I, I do, I, I it, you know, this is one where I was saying to Dan earlier, it, it just kind of hurts, you know, and I think he got pulled away by Croatia because I, I also believe that he really liked it here and he really liked our group. Um, and, and I just, I wish we would have fought harder to keep them to, to, to be honest. And, and, and that's on all of us, the players and, you know, and I think, um, like Dan said, you know, maybe he, he should have given a little bit more space, but, you know, at, in the end, I, there is regret there because, you know, I'm just a, a young player at the time. So I, I'm really, but I wish we would have fought to keep, uh, to, to keep him here. So. And how um, did you find out as a, as a player? Did you well, just... he, he talked, I, I, you know, he was in contact with us. Um, I was talking with Dan a lot. Um, yeah, the players at home and I, I it was just heartbreaking. I remember Dan, I like Dan's like, he's leaving. And I'm like, Oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. You know, because you know, everybody viewed him differently, but I mean, I viewed him as just, you know, not only the best, but like, you know, our sport of God, you know, and I'm yeah. like, how are we letting this guy go as hard as it was? How are we letting it go? And I think there's people today who probably weren't in support of him staying that now see that he should have stayed and we should have fought to keep him if I had a guess. Yeah. Um, were you, was there, was there last, last question on just like the finding out part, but was it harder to hear that he was going back to Croatia? I got it. Uh, you know, he told me, you know, he hadn't been, Croatia's his home his home base. It's where his sister is and his family is. I mean, his daughter's in Italy playing in the orchestra, but he hadn't been home forever. Yeah. And he, you know, as hard as I think it was for him, there was some comfort in, in going back home. Um, so it, it, it was tough. I didn't look at it like, Oh my God, he's going to go coach Croatia. It was just, you know, I, I was just so deflated that he was leaving us but i got i understood him too for wanting to be home i mean the guy hadn't been home in 20 something plus years yeah yeah so it didn't make a difference that it was like you know we just beat them and now he's going back there that didn't really no. play much of a part in it i for me it was the damage was done that we're we are making a mistake in letting go of somebody who's done so much in such a short amount of time yeah yeah dan what about you how did you find out I can't, I don't remember actually how I found out. I think Racco probably told me, um, that, you know, um, and I was kind of like, Oh, well, uh, what am I going to do for employment? You know, yeah. <laughs> I was kind of a little bit worried about that, but, um, you know, Adam, I don't, I wonder if, if he would have stayed, honestly, if efforts were made, I think the lure of home was pretty strong. And the fact that what was kind of, 
sitting in front of him was another four years of super, super hard work. And I got to be honest, I think coaching the Croatian national team is much easier than coaching the American national team. Like Adam said, you don't, there's not as many workouts. They have a league, you know, you take the team for a certain part of the year and the rest of the time. And when you get the players, they're already developed and they're, they're higher level players. And I think it's easier than it is coaching the American team, not to mention the fact that some of the guys were like, I'm not doing this again. I'm done. I'm one and done. And it was like, well, why do we, you know, the plan's eight years. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't agree. know. I, I think, but part of it is, is you and I know that he's not afraid of any work because even in what he did with the Brazilians. Right. So yeah. I don't think it was so much of, you're right for sure that it, it's, it's different. Um, I don't know. I just feel in my gut that if he had everybody behind him, not just players, but I'm talking the the corporation per se behind them, then I, I think it could have been different, you know? Yeah. And I just, I don't think it was fully there. I, you know, we remember the chatter. Oh my God, we have a foreign coach and we get seventh place. Right. Just, it's, yeah. it, that was the stuff that was swirling around. And it's like, but are you looking at what's transpired here? And oh, oh, by the way, when we talk about the Olympic Games, the only teams we lost to are gold, silver, and bronze, right? Yeah. And look at where we started. And it's just like, that didn't help, right? Yet you have no. people who are probably chiming in the ears of U.S. water polo saying these things. Yeah, for sure. And in some ways, I mean, not to be combative, but in some ways it came to fruition that, you know, it may have reinforced when you guys won the you know, the silver in 2008 is like, oh, well, maybe we don't need someone from the outside to, to do this. It almost in some ways maybe made them the, the naysayers made them feel good about the decision. Right. Well, and you know, look, when we lost the gold, I'll say, but then the people who were really on the inside knew why we were there in that moment, you know, and that's no discredit what Terry and Robert, Ryan Brown and, and everybody did was critical right but they'll be the first two to say that the period of time the four-year period with Rudich was so critical um to our success in Beijing yeah and so how do you view um this this could be very controversial but I'm gonna say it anyway how do you view the national team comparing it from then to now and (laughs) (laughs) You know, what are some of the things that we're doing well and what are some of the things that we're failing at um, right now? And I would totally understand if that seems too broad or maybe a little bit, you know, sketchy to ask that question. But, you know, the whole point of the overall point of the podcast has always been development and to hear stories and to learn I don't think we do any justice and or learn if we're not being truthful. So I'm kind of, that's why I'm throwing that out there. Right. Dan, you want to start? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think, you want me to start? I, I, I will say, I'll, I'll, I'll say this from, from having had day on, on my, on the podcast and having players that played for him and, you know, obviously having a relationship with the assistant coaches and in, in some respect, maybe not a great relationship, but I do have a relationship with them. Um, you know, there's a lot of respect all the way across the board. You know, obviously there's never none of that. And I think whenever former athletes look at their experience and compare it to the the present, um, it's, it's 
difficult to say, oh, everything's going the same or we're doing everything right because you guys had a different experience. I know Segusman was very adamant about what he thought was going on and the things that we could do better um, as a national team. He was very, you know, abrasive in, in his response. He felt like the guys weren't working hard enough and wasn't instilling a, sort of a passion that would make those guys want to come back and return and, and keep continue playing. Um, it's it's a challenge when the almost the entire team turns over from one cycle to the next. You guys had seven, you know, basically a starting lineup comeback in 2008. That, that says a lot. And then a big chunk of that group comes back for 2012. Are we going to get to that point again? Right. Well, here, here's what I'd say, Steve, all of us being coaches, right? It's so easy um, for people to question, be critical, right? I, I, it happens all the time. But unless you're in the bubble, you really don't know why, you know, for example, a player doesn't make it or players in the pro, no longer in a program or whatever it may be. Um, I, I think, you know, um, I, you know, I, I didn't hear all of Chris's interviews. I think some of the things, and again, you know, a lot of this may be out of their control, but I, I do think if, if the things that are critical is experience and experience only comes through work. And, uh, uh I, I don't know, unless there is some secret recipe to having success without an investment, um, I, I. I would love to know it, um, but the bottom line is, is we have, you have to work and work means the training. And again, you know, I get it. We are in a different period of time where schools are uh, uh, more maybe difficult to release kids or whatever, but I just feel like the training piece um, could be more, you know, and I, I, you know, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp. I'm, I'm been removed from the international game, but you know, we are at a disadvantage because we don't have professional leagues. So how are we going to make or close that gap per se? Right. And, you know, and then, you know, I, I look at the women's team too, and um, just the varying schedules of how much the women work and the men work. And again, I'm not on the inside, so I don't want to throw stones per se, but I, I think it's, the work is critical, very critical. And, you know, look, you talked about seven of our players staying in there for over a 12 year period, because a lot of us, we started in 97, a lot of us, 98 started training with the national. So it's, it's more than a 12 year period. Right. Um, and I'm not in that bubble, but you know, we had the youngest team, I think in Brazil, right. And, and now how many players are coming back? You know, I, I don't know. Is it three? Is it four? Um, and and, and, and wh why is that the case? You know, I, we talked about maybe people wanting to work, whatever. And so I'm not in the bubble, but like you, we can't have, you know, I, I, I find for the U.S. it's going to be difficult if we constantly say that we're the youngest team. That's going to be a problem uh, when, when, when you need that, that experience. So I, I, I would agree. Uh, with Sagasman because also through an investment, right, creates a certain mentality for the individual, for the group. And, uh, uh, and, and in team sports, uh, uh, the culture is of the utmost importance. 
And if you're not around each other a lot, then how do you really create a, a, a real strong culture? And, and I think those are the things that I think are, are, are critical to have. And, you know, and then, you know, you see the women's side where, you know, they're having so much success and there's reasons for that too, but they are creating a strong culture, uh, you know, and obviously I'm uh, close with Adam and I watch uh, what he does and I have women that are on the team and looking at their training load and, you know, there, there's a reason behind that too. Yeah. You have a pretty unique perspective, Dan. What what about what do you think? Well, I, I think that when when you come from the experience that Adam and I had, that we were lucky enough to have this kind of experience that you almost can't believe you had the opportunity to experience it. Anything that comes after that is going to pale in comparison to what to what we had. Yeah. Um, you know, he's Rekka Rudish is a special leader. It's proven. Um, no one can argue with, with his success. And so the way that he, you know, the, the efforts that he made and the things that he did and the amount that the team trained and the amount of work that he was willing to do, we, we've clearly discovered that that is, that's an anomaly. That's not that common, like throughout the world, not just in water polo coaching, but in, in leadership in all different forms, like the great, the great special leaders are, you know, they don't come around that often. And so having that experience, we're always going to look at what, what's happening now, uh, you know, with a, you know, even like Stegasman or any of these other former guys, Brett Ormsby, any of these guys that were, that went through that, they look at anything that the national team does now and say, what do you guys, are you training or not? Cause we, we were trained, yeah. like, you know? And so when you have that frame of reference, it makes it hard, but if the results aren't there and, and, and the player retention isn't there, then some things need to be looked at. And that's just, that's just being a smart, smart businessman, smart leader. Yeah. I think you bring up a really good point. And I really like the phrase of how former players are, are framing it and how they're framing what's happening. It's not right or wrong. You know, and that's not what you're saying. Neither is Adam, you know, you guys aren't saying it's right, right or wrong. You're basically just saying like, Hey, this was my experience. I mean, it would just be like if you were playing for Phil Jackson and then Phil Jackson left and you got Mike D'Antoni, you know, for those Laker fans in, in the audience, you know, it's a totally different thing. And at, from the outside looking in as a spectator, you know, you're thinking that's not the way you do it. No way. And we could never really know unless we're there on a day to day basis. So, I mean, I know that's a tough question and a little bit well, on, on the spot, but. Steve, I think one of the other things um, that is is so unique I, I remember being a young kid right with starting with the national team and literally when play started literally sitting on the side of the pool for maybe an hour hour and a half shivering right and then maybe i would get in the water uh for the last five minutes right of play but i would have done anything to be shivering there because being a part of the national team it's got to mean so much, mm -hmm. right? And that that's a critical piece. And I, and I feel like that, I mean, that should be, if you have aspirations to go beyond college, that, that should be so, what would you say, ingrained in you? Like, oh my God, to be a part of this team is incredible. And I think that's a little bit, you know, again, I'm not in the bubble, but Maybe it's taken for granted a little bit. And I'll go back to the beginning of this. I will say right now, I believe, and Dan, I don't know what you believe, but I believe we have more quality 
players than the teams I was on, meaning people who are faster, move, uh, move fundamentally better. Uh, you know, Capito was, you know, uh, with us over the fall because he was doing an internship here and was our volunteer coach. I mean, the guy is, is a freak of nature, yeah. right? And uh, people who are shooters, I mean, there's there's no comparing Alex Bowen's shot to my shot. It's not even close where we played on the same side of the pool. Yeah. And it's like that, that and, and, and then, you know, when Dan talks about results, so it's like we do have the players, and I believe we have better players now. I mean, you have the young kids coming up. Look at Hannes and uh, uh, and in in these type of players, and but again, you know, I'm not there in the everyday uh, bubble, but like, what what is happening, or is there not enough? Those are things that it's easy for us to question, right? Because we were in a different experience. But I just think, you know, we have. I mean, a Ben Howick, for example. My God, that's the the I that is a I don't know a, a once in every twenty year type player maybe yeah. you know yeah. like he, he changes the complexion of everything and it's like my god we cannot lose an opportunity like this and you know and now 2028 being in our backyard i mean halleck should be playing in 2028 yeah and and and, and should be uh, uh uh probably the most dominant center in the world by that point will it happen i don't know yeah and the you athleticism and is i mean you can't compare athleticism from then to now i mean no, Halleck could be in the NFL. You know, honestly, he could mm-hmm. probably be a tight end in the NFL if he really wanted to be. And I say the same thing about Hunnis. You know, their athleticism mm-hmm. is off the charts. You see them on a basketball court or anything like that. They're pure athletes. It's not just they're good water polo players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 you know, you have Hoopers and you have you know Irving moves so well, and you have strong defenders and you know, it, it, the list goes on and on. And it's like so. Again, from the outside, it's easy to naysay or whatever, but I, I, I just feel like we have the makings to, you know, be able to compete yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question because I know I've kept you guys for a, a long time here. Um, <laughs> but this has been, honestly, this has been an amazing, and, I, and I've told Dan earlier in the week, this is going to be the most listened to episode probably ever um just because of the number one the quality of the guests you two guys um but also the topic and you know coaches who are really hungry for wanting to learn from the best and about the best um and so since you guys were around Racco for so long what is one thing that you took from him from his coaching that you are applying today uh with your teams I think, um, Steve, the thing that's, that stood out to me the most and the thing that people kind of, when they think about Radco, they think about the atomic training. Uh, Adam, do you remember when he said we we're, we we're going to have the atomic training? Right. <laughs> <laughs> they talk about the swimming and the, the swimming is like a big deal when you talk about Radco. But, you know, again, like when you're inside the bubble, like Adam just mentioned, like you, and if you're really paying close attention, you realize that everything that is done is is to try to bring the group together and to create the strong group and so really what it's about is team building you know and um i think that's just great leadership uh in a team sport you know and and so swimming is team building sure you know you're 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 built you're making the group goes through something difficult uh, so that they become closer and also it 
it, it forms unity. And a lot of times that unity is in, in hatred of the coach and willing. And, you know, Ratko was willing to endure that. He didn't care. He was willing to do what was best for the team. All, so many of our team meetings, and I have handwritten notes of our team meetings, are about the team. Uh, so much of our talk about behavior was about the team. And so that is really the thing that stands out to me the most about him was his ability to bring uh, uh, different people together and find a way to make them work together and function at a high level and have, and have success. So I've kept that along with many, many, many other things from Rudich. But that's the one thing that stands out to me the most. Adam? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it goes back to when we were talking earlier, the mentality piece and all that. I mean, uh, you don't, in a, in a team sport, you don't have sustained success without really, first and foremost, creating a culture, right? And within a culture, there's a standard, you know? And I, and I think, um, you think of all the great teams, you, you have to have that culture that's established you know it's first got to be established by the staff and demonstrate to the group that you're willing to do anything and everything for them but then the culture has to take a life of its own and the group is responsible for moving the needle forward with the culture but also protecting the culture right because unfortunately or fortunately you know coaches don't have uh their players for 24 hours a day so then within a culture, trust is huge. Within a relationship, trust is huge. And I think the greatest thing that he taught me, right, is there's a standard. You, and as a coach, you have a choice. You can let the standard, you could let it drop. You know, when you ask for two kicks, if a kid gives one, you can let it get by, but then you're cheating them, right? Also, uh, within uh, the standard, right? That there's an understanding that no one's more important than the group. And he made that clear because wherever he's been, he cut the very best players before the 84 Olympics and proved that you can win with any group. He proved it and he continues to prove it. He's cut best players wherever he's gone. Right. So you're no one player is more important than the group. Um, and, and, and I also think the greatest gift he, he gave us was, uh, a strong consistent mentality of you understanding don't sell yourself short you can go further than you ever think ever thought that you could go and he proved that to a group right of guys that really were went out on a whim and said you know what we're gonna we're, we're gonna give ourselves to this guy and what he gave us back in return has been so huge you know we i have zoom calls now in the quarantine with with the teammates and from the years and every one of those guys, you know, even though when you're in it was misery, they go back and reflect on really the gift that he's given us after water polo. And that is the gift of knowing that you can do absolutely anything and you can go further than you ever thought you could go whatever arena you're in. So um, those are things that I absolutely hold dear. It's critical for college age kids too, right? For the end game. So, um, and, and those were things that I think have been critical for his success. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, this has just been for me, it's like going back in time. It's almost like a, our own last audio last dance, to be honest with you. Um, and <laughs> I, I've really appreciated your openness for, from both of you and Dan for, you know, 
setting this up and 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 really sort of being one of the producers on this episode i i really appreciate your insight into the questions and sort of the mentality and and things like that so thank you for all the work you've put in for this episode and and adam for being on and kind of spreading your knowledge and experience um i can't thank you guys enough thank you steve it's been yeah it's been a lot of fun uh reminiscing and just having to explore all these memories once again and kind of go down memory lane it's made me pretty nostalgic about the old days yeah i hope that we can do a little i know this is probably off your radar but a little q a uh after i release the episode and have some people ask you some questions um i think there's going to be a lot of people that would love to ask some questions but adam also thank you for for being on man no thank you steve all right guys we'll talk soon All right, take care. Okay, thanks. Bye.